Well, what's up, people? I want to say hello to everybody who is watching live um, on Facebook or on the website or to our great friends in Tennessee. And I want to say if you're watching this message on some sort of delay because you watched the World Cup instead, that Jesus will forgive you. All right? Um, who is in the World Cup anyway? Croatia and France. Where is Croatia? Carly, where's Croatia? Carly has no idea. So anyway, super excited that you're here today. Um, next week, we're starting a brand new series through the book of Ruth called Don't Call It a Comeback. Um, and it's going to be real interesting. It's only for the people who have ever felt that your life has fallen completely apart and you don't know what to do. So if that's never happened to you, um, you can tune out for the next four weeks. But if you've ever had that time or that season where you feel like your life has fallen completely apart and you don't know what to do, you're going to love this series. It's four weeks through the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. Today, though, we're going to be in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to go to a what is, if, you're, if you've been in church world for a little while, it's a familiar passage. If you haven't been in church, world. This is a very, very popular passage among church people. I want to set it up like this. Most of us, not all of us, most of us growing up can remember some really good commercials. Now, I don't know if they make them anymore. Like, I don't watch TV a lot. And in fact, most of us, when you, if you have a DVR, what happens when the commercials come on? You you fast forward through them, right? You don't even... But, but growing up as a kid, we didn't have the option of fast forwarding through commercials, but there were some good commercials. There were like in the 80s and the 90s, how many remember the Budweiser commercials? The what's that? Like, yeah, now some of you will have to Google that because you don't know what that is. Um, there are commercials that make you laugh. There's commercials that make you cry. Like the Publix commercials at Thanksgiving, get me every time. I don't know what it is. Um, there's commercials that make you think. As an ADD kid, I can remember my mom and my dad telling people that I wouldn't watch a full television show but I would pause during the commercials. Now, the reason I'm talking about commercials so much is because there was one that came out in 1997. And I'll link this commercial later on on my social media. But it was, it was a commercial by uh, the company Apple, and it was one of the best commercials I've ever seen. In fact, anytime I'm, I'm on YouTube, I'll just kind of go and watch this commercial. It takes about a minute of my time but what it says, the message of the commercial, is fascinating. I want to read it to you. I've got it written down. And it's the title of the commercial is called, We Are the Crazy Ones, or Here's to the Crazy Ones. This is what it says. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. And they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the one thing you can't do is ignore them. Because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Now that right there, that it, if, if you just kind of closed your eyes, you could all, that almost sounds like it belongs in the Bible somewhere because that's so powerful. I mean, I got, kind of got a little cold chill reading that. But I want to show you a picture today of the original 
crazy ones. And it wasn't Steve Jobs and, and his band of merry men in some little garage in Palo Alto, or it wasn't um, the Microsoft guys, it wasn't the Google guys, the original crazy ones. I'm talking about the original, the OG crazy ones. All right, here we go. All right here. These are the crazy ones. Now, this wasn't the actual picture taken. This is, this is the, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, or whatever. And this group of ragtag ragamuffins absolutely changed the world. And they shouldn't have. There's no way that this group of people should have made a difference. First of all, there's Jesus. Now, one of the mistakes I think that we make as Christians, because I know I made this mistake for many years, is when we read the Bible and we read stories about Jesus, we think that people back in Jesus' day saw him as we see him. And it's not true. Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years of his life. He was in obscurity. When he stepped into doing ministry, everywhere he went, people were like, well, what makes you, what gives you authority? Where'd you get your authority? You're not qualified. You're not able to teach. But Jesus kept on teaching no matter what people said. Jesus was considered to be an illegitimate child because, let me ask you a question. Do you think everybody bought into that virgin birth story? Would you buy into it if somebody came and told you about it? No, nobody bought into it. So Jesus, is, it, Jesus, first of all, was considered crazy. Jesus was considered so crazy that his family, on at least one occasion, maybe two, tried to come get him and bring him home. And it wasn't so they could feed him and put it, it's like so they could put him in a room and lock him in a door, or put him in a room, lock the door, and not let anybody near there. People thought Jesus was absolutely crazy. And then look who he surrounded himself with. I mean, there's all kinds of people. First of all, there's Peter. And you've heard me say this before. If you ever feel bad about who you are as a human being, all you need to do is go to Scripture and read about Peter. This guy, this guy was, there's no way Peter should be, have been one of the people that Jesus selected to change the world. He was impulsive. He cussed. Peter tried to kill a guy in front of Jesus. You say, where do you get that? Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus pull, or Peter pulls out the sword and he cuts the, guy's ears, cuts the guy's ear off. Now, it's not because Peter was trying to cut his ear off. He's not like Jason Bourne who could have probably done that, right? He's trying to kill the guy. He's trying to, you know, and he couldn't even kill the guy right. Peter, but this guy, this guy, the impulsive, cussing, trying to murder somebody is in the group that Jesus says, I want to use you to change the world. Then you got James and John. These two guys were self-centered, and, and they were a bit impulsive too. In fact, there's a story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is getting ready to go into this village. The village doesn't receive Jesus, so James and John says, hey, you want us to call down fire on this village? I'm, no compassion, no mercy, we're killing everybody. That was their attitude, and Jesus is like, no, and he kind of rebuked them. And then there was this time where Jesus got his disciples together and said, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be betrayed, they're going to crucify me, I'm going to be murdered, it's going to be horrible. And James and John are like, yeah, 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 man, that's awful. Feel bad about that. Hey, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit on the right and the other one sit on the left? Like, they didn't get it. They were clueless. They were self-centered. And then there's a guy, and, and you've heard me talk about this guy before, Matthew. Matthew, we don't even have a category for how bad of a person Matthew was. He was a tax collector. Matthew, 
Matthew had not only turned his back on the nation of Israel, he had turned his back on God. And while he was collecting taxes, in other words, while he's in the act of sinning, Jesus walks up and says, hey, follow me. Not stop it, not clean up your act, not you need to go to school for 17 years. He goes, hey, you know, stop right now and follow me. Now, here's the last one I want to include. I'm not going to go through all 12, by the way, because I don't even know all 12. Um, the last one I want to include is Simon the Zealot. Now, we never talk about this guy. Never talk about Simon the Zealot. But here's what's fascinating about Simon the Zealot. Zealots hated, hated two types of people. Romans. Anybody want to guess what the second group of people were? Anybody? Tax collectors. Tax collectors. So don't miss this. Jesus didn't just go get people who thought in the same way. In fact, this would be like the most liberal Democrat and the most conservative Republican sitting at the same table with Jesus. In that, Jesus is communicating, you don't have to think the same way to be at my table. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that just mind-blowing? They got a tax collector and a zealot to sit down. We can't even get Republicans and Democrats to sit in the same room. And Jesus is bringing people like that and sitting them down at the same table. Now, with all that in mind, this group of people right here, um, these guys plus few others, Jesus uses them to change the world. And all of this starts happening in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start reading in verse 13 where the Bible says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, this verse right here is loaded. So I'm going I'm to try to go through it. We'll set it up like this. The other day, Karis, my daughter, who's 11 now, and I are riding down the road, and she literally says this to me. Daddy, I wonder what the world was like without the internet. And I said, well, baby, I can, I can tell you about it. And she looked at me really weird. And I was like, yeah, I had a pet dinosaur and everything. So we kind of started talking about what the world was like about the internet and how phones used to be like on the wall. They were attached and you had to get the extra long cord and then the cordless phone. Anyway, we're having that conversation and the conversation went to travel. And we're talking about traveling. And I was like, yeah, your Papa Noble used to drive. We drove to California every year from Easley, South Carolina to California. And she said, how long did that take? And I said, four days and three nights. And she looked at me and she said, why would he do that to you? Well, because she knew I was a kid, I couldn't drive. And she's like, what did you do? And I was like, well, I would read a book or just sit there. She's like, what about an iPad? I'm like, baby, they didn't exist. They didn't exist back in 1492, all right? I mean, I, they just, so we started talking about that. And when I got home that night, I started thinking, if you drive somewhere, especially in today's society, for four days and three nights, it's not by accident. Nobody ever drove for four days, three nights, accidentally winding up somewhere. If you're going to go four days, three nights, we can all agree that's an investment of time, right? And you really intend on winding up somewhere. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because when we read the scriptures, ordinarily, we just kind of skip over this part. But from where Jesus and his disciples were, to get to Caesarea Philippi, it took about three or four days to get there. It was an Oh, by the way, they walked. 90% of this walk was uphill. I've actually been to this place right here. 
So if you're going to walk, like I, I can't walk sometimes 100 feet. Like I'll be sitting on the couch wanting some want a Pop-Tart, and I won't even walk over to the kitchen cabinet to get the Pop-Tart. I just like, I'll sit here and not have the Pop-Tart. But if you're going to walk for four days and three nights, you're going to this place. Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus was going to this place to make a point. Okay? Caesarea Philippi. Now, here's another thing that the original readers, when they read that Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi, they would have been like, oh, dear God. Why did he go there? Because Caesarea Philippi was a place where they worshipped the Greek goat god Pan. There was a cave at Caesarea Philippi. In this cave, there was a crack in the middle of it where the Greek goat god worshippers thought that the spirits would ascend and descend from the underworld. There was a temple next to this cave where they would have acts of worship worshiping the Greek goat god Pan, and one of the acts of worship that they would do would be to have sex with goats. Now, every time I've taught on that, somebody's been like, I don't think you should have said that. But here's what's real. When you really read the Bible, if the Bible were made into a full-length movie, none of our children could watch it. It would be NC-17, right? So, so, so Jesus intentionally goes to this place. It's one of the most messed up, jacked up places in the world. I mean, if they're having sex with goats, nobody's sitting there going, well, let's not judge. Let's not judge. We don't know their story. I mean, that, that's messed up. We're all going to agree that's just messed up. So he goes to the place, and when he gets there, he goes, hey, guys, let's have a conversation about me. Now, wouldn't you think that if Jesus was going to start a conversation about himself, that maybe he would have gone to Jerusalem, where people like knew the Bible and knew Scripture? I mean, that would have made sense, right, to go to Jerusalem to have a conversation about Jesus? Or maybe he would have gone to Rome, because Rome is very political, and some people think politics are the Savior, right? And I, by the way, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? How's that working out for anybody that believe in political savior? Okay, Democrats and Republicans. The only thing that you've heard me say, the only thing that an elephant and a donkey have in common is they both poop. All right, that's, that's, that's it. So another message, another time. So you would have think that maybe they kind of gone to Rome. No, 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 no. Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi. I was trying to think of an equivalent this week, and this is the only thing I can think of. Let's say that you got a bunch of your friends together and said, we're going to the strip club. Okay, this is a hypothetical illustration that I am not encouraging. I am using this for illustration purposes only. I don't think you should go to a strip club this week. So, but let's say you got a bunch of friends and you all go to the strip club and you, you sit down and you kind of get in there and you order your drinks and everything. And then and as everybody gets settled in, you look at all your friends and say, I brought you here because I wanted to talk to you about Jesus. Like none of your friends would go, I knew it. I knew it the whole time. I knew that's what we were going to... No, no. <laughs> what? We're in, there's a strip club. That's what's going on in this text. When Jesus tells his disciples, first of all, they're very uncomfortable at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus goes, we're going to have a conversation about me. And they're like, couldn't we have done this? And like, Galilee, couldn't we have done this somewhere else? It gets, it gets a little crazier. I love this. Well, they replied. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah are one of the other prophets. Now, I love 
how they answer the question. Well, well is what you say when you don't know what to say. It's when somebody asks you a question and you don't quite know how to respond. I remember one time I preached a wedding. There was a song in the middle of this wedding. In fact, I remember the song. It was a song always by Atlantic Star. If you're not from the 80s, you don't remember that song. If you're from the 80s, you made out to that song. Um, but it was a song called Always. And, and um, I'm standing there and the people started singing it. And it was, it was the worst thing I'd ever heard in my life. Cow, a cow dying in a hailstorm would have sounded better than what I was listening to. But the bride loved it. And so afterwards, I remember her coming up to me going, what'd you think about that song? And the first thing that popped out of my mind was, well, it was interesting. You, you've said that before, right? Somebody comes out, how does this look on me? Well, um, it, that's interesting. Like, well, that's what we say when we don't know what to say. That's what the apostles are saying. Well, um... Jesus, you are being considered among some of the greatest. I mean, people are saying some good, like John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. People are saying some really, really good stuff about you. People think, people think you're a good guy, and they're kind of nervous looking around. There's the goat people over there, not kind of getting their gates of hades. They're not quite sure what's going to go on. But then Jesus calls them out. Then he asks them, but who do you say I am? Now, I don't know if you've ever been called out. I remember the 2007 election. John McCain versus Barack Obama. It was nasty. On both, like, both campaigns should have been put in timeout for at least 30 days. It was, it was just on both sides. And America was, I mean, deeply divided. And I remember walking into a CVS. I just wanted to get my prescription. And I walked in, and there was, I, I had my, the day off, and I walked in, there's, and there was um, a group of people talking about the McCain-Obama controversy, like, that, and they were kind of going back and forth. So I'm standing to the side, I got my hands in my pocket, I got my hat pulled down, I'm like, dear God, please don't let anybody recognize me. And as soon as I prayed that prayer, one of the guys said, Pastor P! And they all looked at me. They said, how are you doing? I said, man, I'm doing great. And they went, who are you voting for? And I said, well, um, I, I, I literally, I kind of got around that. I think I told him Jesus or whatever. But when, when, when somebody's talking to you about somebody else, like, what, what do you think they believe? What do you think they believe? What do you think they believe? That's something really easy to engage. But it's like, hey, what do you believe? And Jesus is asking his guys, what do you believe about me? And the Bible goes on to say this. Simon Peter answered, which should always scare us. Anytime Simon Peter says something, it's, it should always be scary, but this time he got it right. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In other words, you're the one we've been waiting for. You are the savior of the world. He didn't say, you're a good teacher, you're a great moral guy, we think you say some good things, that you, some good life lessons. He says, Jesus, you are the Son of God. This is the declaration that Peter makes. And I love it because Jesus goes on to tell Peter in the next verse, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In other words, Jesus said, Peter, you're right. 
and you're so right, I'm not even going to give you credit for it. God told you the answer. But don't miss this. Then this is, man, I have never, ever, ever had this thought until this week, kind of putting my final preparations on this message. Peter got the revelation of who Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi. In one of the ungodliest places in the world, God spoke to Peter and told Peter who Jesus was. Translation, no matter where you are in life right now, God can speak to you. If you feel like you're super close to God, God can speak to you. If you feel like you're further away from God than you've ever been in your life, God can speak to you. If God can speak to Peter at Caesarea Philippi, God can speak to us at any place or any position in our life. We don't have to pray the right prayers or do the right things or wear the right clothes. All we've got to do is be open to hearing his voice. Because if he speaks to Peter at Caesarea Philippi, he can speak to us anywhere. And Jesus goes on to say this, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, meaning on this statement you just made, I will build my church. I will build my church. And don't miss this last part. And the gates of Hades. And a lot of scholars believe that Jesus would have pointed because the gates of Hades were right there. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Don't miss this because the symbolism is so powerful. Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to start a movement. And those people are going to become our people. Those people, the ones with the goat, yep, those. The people that you think have completely lost their way, those people have become our people. That's why I love the name of our church, Second Chance. Because I thought about this this morning. We're going to be the church about second chances, not second glances. When I say second glances, I'm like, sometimes you show up at church and somebody is like, hey, how are you doing? What are you doing here? You know what I'm talking about? Oh my gosh, you're the, you're the person that went through the divorce. Oh my gosh, you're the person with the addiction. Oh my gosh, you're the person that had the abortion. Oh my gosh, you're, you're gay. Oh my gosh, you're trans. Oh my gosh, it's like we do second glances and I don't want a church of second glances. I want a church of second chances where no matter where you are in life, no matter what's going on in your heart or in your mind, you can walk in and experience the presence of God in an unreal way and hopefully leave a little bit different than you, than you were when you walked in. And even if you're not, come back the next week and we're not going to give you a second glance. We're just going to give, we might give you a second hug and tell you we're just super glad you're here because that's the type of movement that Jesus started it wasn't a movement that said we're going to judge you based on how you're dressed or how we believe your ethical moral behavior was this week it's like hey we're glad you're here even though we know what you've been doing with the goats we're glad you're here and we our prayer is our prayer is our prayers that you'll come to the same conclusion that Peter did that Jesus is the savior of the world now, kind of goes into my story a little bit because um, I, I was not a big church fan for years. Some of you, that's your story. I mean, you just, you know, you just weren't a fan of church, especially if you're an ADD kid and, you know, you had a mama that made you behave. But when my mom passed away, I just stopped going. And my dad didn't make me go because he didn't want to go to church. In fact, I went from going to church on Sunday mornings 
to calling my dad's um, bookie for him on Sunday mornings to bet the football games. So a little bit, little bit different, a little bit different. Uh, I, knew how to bet, I knew how to bet football games at like 13 and 14 years old. Um, and 1990, I wound up giving my life to Christ in a local church. And the church that I received Christ in was awesome. I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the fellowship. I loved everything about it. And within the next year, a church actually hired me to come on staff. I didn't know you got paid money to work at a church. Now, it was a small Southern Baptist church, so it wasn't a lot, because the Baptists, um, they believe, God, if you'll keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. Um, and so that's kind of like how they operated back in the day. But I didn't care. I didn't care. And it was in Pickens, so it was where I could do the least amount of damage possible. But I loved that church, and I loved those students, and I loved those people. I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And in the year um, 1993, I, can't, I went to another church, and I served at that church for six years. Absolutely loved that church. I loved the people. I loved everything I got to do. And in 1999, there was a group of people, there was about 15 of us that began to just meet together in a living room and talk about what if we started a church that was a little bit different? And what if we started a church where it was really okay not to be okay? And what if we started a church that really, really wanted to reach people far from God? And you know what? We did it. On January the 16th of 2000, we launched New Spring Church. We had 115 people in attendance, and the next 16 years would be the greatest 16 years of my life. And then July of 2016 happened. Actually, it was June and July of 2016. And I won't go into details because at this point, it's, it's not important. There were some unfortunate decisions made. Lots of them, and as a result, um, I wound up, my, my wife left me and took, took my daughter. I lost my job, and I was in a rehab facility in Tucson, Arizona. None of which I'd ever, like, life goals. Like, they, they just weren't on the list, like, life goals. And people have asked me during that time period, did you ever stop believing in God or did you ever stop believing in Jesus? And my answer was no. No, 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 no. I had no problem with Jesus. I had no problem with God. I had serious questions about the church. In fact, when I came back from treatment, I didn't even know what I was going to do. I didn't even have a job. Um, I had a friend of mine that let me have an office and I would just go to the office and sit for like three or four hours and try to figure out what I was going to do. I didn't know what I, I had no job. And so finally I just thought I'll be a consultant and I'll travel and speak and help other churches. And I did that and it was good and it was fun. And I met some great friends and I established some great relationships, but I just never felt like it was what I was supposed to do. And God began dealing with me. God began dealing with me over and over again and going, you need to start a church. And I started telling God all the reasons that I couldn't do it. I started telling him, I can't do it because of this reason. I can't do it because of this reason. This is going on and this is going on and this is going on. And I finally, finally landed at the place that the best way to go insane is try to expect that everybody will believe what God has spoken into your life to do. So I literally <laughs> filled the paperwork out in July of 2017 to start a church. Had no idea when, had no idea how, had no idea what was going to happen. I just said, I'm going to fill the paperwork because maybe I'll do this one day. And wound up launching the church in December of 2017 
with an iPhone 7 simply doing a Facebook live feed. That's all. January 14th of, of 2018, of this past year, I invited people to come to my living room so it wasn't just me preaching to an iPhone, and, and 10 people showed up. And, and since, since we've grown, it's grown from like 10 to 14. It's been amazing. We're experiencing radical growth during this, during this season. But all along, the, all along that way, God is going, you need, to, you, need to get this, you need to get this church started. You need to get this church started. And finally, I told God, God, if you want us to get a church started, you're going to need to give us a place. Back in March, February, March, began talking to some people about a facility here in Anderson, South Carolina. And just a couple months ago, we signed the lease on this facility. This is where we're going to start meeting. It's the old powerhouse Christian church building in the shopping center in Anderson where Barbaritos and Fuji and Rio body waxing place is. So it's awesome. You can come to church and, and get some food and get waxed and, and go home. I guess, I guess that would be just a great day. That'd be a complete day, right? Um, but we're super excited that God opened the door for this facility. And I can't wait to see people who believe that God has given up on them walk through those doors. You know why I can't wait to see them? Because I know what it's like to be one. I can't wait to see people who said they would never walk in the doors of a church walk through those doors and not get second glances, but hear about second chances. I, I love, we, um, we got some plans drawn up. This is going to be the sanctuary right here or the worship center or the, the place where we're going to sing and preach, whatever you want to call that. We've got some children's rooms over here. We've got some nursery space. We've got some bathrooms right here, so just in case people have to pee. Um, indoor plumbing, it's going to be incredible. Um, but we've got all these plans set up. We're in permitting and construction should start in about another week or two. Right, Joel? Yep, that's what Joel said. So Joel said a week or two, so that's what we're going with. And that's going to be our facility, and, and, and super excited about that. And I'll get to this verse in, in just a second. But we've got a building. We're building a staff. We're bu- and, and let me stop real quick. Let me stop real quick. People have, people have asked, where are our campuses going to be? I want you to listen. We're, we don't have campuses. This is not a campus launch. This is a church plant. We're starting with nothing. I don't have the resources I used to have. We're literally starting. So when are you going to come to Columbia or Charleston? 10, 15 years? Our goal right now is to not get campuses. It's to get a campus. And I want you to listen to me. It's going to be real simple. Are we going to have this type of ministry? Are we going to have this type of ministry? Are we to, no, we're not going to be the Cheesecake Factory Church. You ever been to Cheesecake Factory? It takes 17 hours to read their freaking menu. You don't even know what they have. They've got over 200. We're going to be the In-N-Out Burger Church. If you've ever gone to the In-N-Out Burger, the menu fits on one board. We're going to have Sundays, and we're going to have groups. That, that's about it. That's about all we're going to do. But what about student ministry? We're not even going to be able to start with a student ministry. We'll get there eventually. But what we're trying to do, listen, it's you got to get started. And our place to get started is this facility 
that God has provided us with because in that place, we believe it's going to be the beginning of a movement that we don't even understand right now. But you've got to get started somewhere. So as a leader, as a leader, one of the things I've been doing this whole time is praying. Of course, I, I pray. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think I'm the best prayer, but I pray. And I've been praying, and I came across this passage in Exodus, and it's really, really cool passage um, where Moses is praying through some things. In Exodus 33, 12, he, Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, Moses is saying, God, you told me to go somewhere, but you haven't told me who's going to go with me. Now, now, I want to stop. Before anybody goes, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Hold on a minute before you say you're in. Because I want to tell you what we need. Within 12 weeks, we got to raise $250,000. Within 12 weeks, we need to raise $250,000. How, how much has come in so far? 15 grand. 15 grand. I mean, it's awesome to see. There's one person um, that gives about $8 a day. I guess they're a server in a, in a restaurant or something, and I, they, they literally give $8 a day toward the $250,000 fund. Um, because of the way that people give in our church, we already had a solid financial foundation to get the process started. The goal is to have a worship service on September the 30th. That's the goal to have the first worship service. But I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me really good. I'm just going to say it as clear as I can. Don't say I'm in if you're not going to contribute in some way. Because anybody can cheerlead from the sideline. I need to, and listen, I'm asking you to give unashamedly, without reservation. I don't care if it's five bucks. I don't care if it's 10 bucks. I'm asking you to go all in and let's see a miracle. $250,000 in 12 weeks, I would consider that to be a miracle. But it's what we're going to need in order to make all of this happen. And in this place, I believe we're going to see people receive Christ. I believe we're going to see lives changed. I believe we're going to see people that literally thought it was over for them get a brand new beginning. Personally, I've fallen in love with the church again. I really have. And I, I came across this quote, and I want to read it to you. It's by a friend of mine who wrote a book, and this is what he says about the church. He said, she's a mystery, isn't she? Still going after all this time. After the Crusades and the Inquisition and Christian, Christian cable television. Still going. And there continue to be people like me who believe she is one of the best ideas ever. In spite of all the ways she has veered off track, in spite of all the people who have actually turned away from God because of what they experienced in church, I'm starting to realize why. The church is like a double-edged sword. When it's good, when it's on, when it's right, it's like nothing on earth. A group of people committed to selflessly serving and loving the world around them. Great. But when it's bad, all that potential gets turned the other way. From the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Sometimes in the same week. Sometimes in the same day. But she will live on. She's indestructible. When she dies in one part of the world, she explodes in another. 
She's global. She's universal. She's everywhere. And while she's fragile, she's going to endure. In every generation, there will be those who see her beauty and give their lives to see her shine. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against her. That's strong language, and it's true. She will continue to roll across the ages, serving and giving and connecting people with God and with each other. And people will abuse her and manipulate her and try to control her, but they'll pass on, and she will keep going. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the gift of the local church. There are those of us who are watching today, God, who have had great experiences and maybe those who have had not so great experiences. And Father, I pray that today that you would remind us, no matter where we are, that the church is for broken, messed up people. And all of us should take comfort in that because, God, we're just all broken, messed up people. The head's bowed and eyes closed right now. If you're here and you've had a bad church experience, I get it. But just because you had a bad church experience doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you or God isn't. In fact, there's, it's, it's no coincidence that you're listening to this message today. Peter said, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And my question for you is, have you ever seen Jesus as Lord? Have you ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? Because if not, I want to invite you where you sit right now to start your spiritual journey by receiving Jesus into your life. You can do that by praying with me. I want you to pray. If you want to ask Jesus to come in your life, you want to start a relationship with him, then right where you sit right now, I want you to pray in your heart. I just want you to pray, Jesus Christ, I confess you are Lord. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Come in and take over. I surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name. With head still bowed and eyes still closed at Life Spring and Sweetwater. If you just prayed to receive Christ, if you just put your hand up. If you, I can't see it, but somebody is there and they can see it. They want to celebrate with you, so you just put your hand up high. If you're online, if you're at our website, you can do the hand raise emoji. Or if you're on Facebook, you can do a little hand emoji. We would love to know that you prayed to receive Christ. We'd love to celebrate with you salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, hey, don't leave. That's not the end of the message. Some, I know some of you are going to ask. In fact, I can't see the Facebook feed. I'll look at that later on today. But some of you are like, oh my gosh, I see what your t-shirt's about now. We're the crazy ones. Where can I get one of those t-shirts? Well, there's one. I'm wearing it. I will give it to you for $250,000 if you want this t-shirt right here. No, seriously, um, I really would if... Um, MySecondChanceChurch.com, MySecondChanceChurch.com. If you want to help us, 
get to this goal, to achieve this financial goal, to get in this building, to create an environment where lost people can get found, found people can get grown up, excluded can get included, and God gets the glory for it all. You can go to this website right here, and you can either give online or it's got the address where you can mail a check. Um, we would ask if you mail a check that you have the funds in the account to cover the check. Um, you'd be surprised. Um, but that's where you can go. Next week, we start the brand new series. Don't call it a comeback through the book of Ruth. I hope you guys have a great week. God bless. The best is yet to come.